<laughs> oh, excuse me, me no see you there. Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, podcast where we eat old fanfic and hope that it not stale. Me Amato, he him, and with me, uh, Tori, they them. I was gonna, I was thinking of a Muppet voice, but I was like, I can't, I can't even, I can't compete with that. And the one human on the show, Della. She. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to have a human around. Yes, for, for contrast. Right. <laughs> Even though this fanfic does not have humans. Yes. No, this particular fanfic doesn't. By the way, how do you like that? That's going to be our new opening from now on. Um, <laughs> I figured it was time for a new lead-in because we haven't changed that like, yeah. for a whole show. I- I'm worried about getting headaches from pinching my nose every time. But <laughs> I- I'll- otherwise, I think it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not too appropriate, appropriative. Well, yeah, we have to respect monster culture. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I, I appreciate what y'all are doing. It just like inbounds the fan. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We've got a Sesame Street fanfic today. I was bending. I, I bended the rules, but we'll get to that about time frame, just because I want to talk about this story. Uh, but I guess, I guess we need to talk about our Sesame Street background. Right. I mean, yeah, but like we grew up with Sesame Street. I watched Sesame Street. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone did. Right. <laughs> I mean, not everyone, obviously. Yeah. But it's so common culturally. I'm not sure if you could even say that like people are. Well, this person was a fan of Sesame Street, actually. <laughs> and clearly, I mean, I'm assuming this was written by an adult. They seem to have very adult I, I ideas, would think so, yes. uh, yeah. <laughs> understanding of the world. Yeah. I think you could talk about what era of Sesame Street you grew up with. I don't remember anything specific, though. Like, you know, Sesame Street was Sesame Street, but I feel like we had it before, like, the rise of Elmo fully. Is that right? Oh, remember the Tickle Me Elmo toys? Oh, yeah, you're right. That was a thing one of those years. Yeah, we were, like, past Sesame Street age when that happened, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Yeah. But we were still kids. Tickle Me Elmo was 96. So, yeah, we were not probably oh, okay. watching Sesame Street at, like, age 9 or whatever, or, well, eight I or was, 7, whatever you were. Yeah, I was 7. But, yeah, still, I still think that's a little past Sesame Street age. Um, so, yeah, and uh, also, like, one, one watched kind of, I don't know if there were reruns or what, but you, you kind of saw some earlier Sesame Street also, I feel like, uh, just around when, when one was growing up. Uh, like follow that bird, for example. That was 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I was even born, but I definitely mm-hmm. saw it. Right, like that's the the movie with with Big Bird and a whole bunch of guest stars that I would not care about as a child. What's the one where Big yeah. Bird tries to eat plastic food in Japan? Uh, that is that. That was a defining thing for Serena for for my spouse. Oh, really? Yeah. That was Big Bird in Japan. Big Bird in Japan. I completely forgot about that. I did. I didn't. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? Um, I don't know. I, I had a whole bunch of tapes I would rewatch. Of. Mm-hmm. What I'm thinking now is probably older Sesame Street than it was contemporary at the time. Right. That's kind of what I was getting at is like, I, I don't even know how much I saw current Sesame Street on TV as opposed to like older tapes from like a video rental store. Uh, Big Bird in Japan, by the way, was um, aired on NHK in 88 and then PBS in 89. Huh. Did, did, did they dub it? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Original language English. Mm-hmm. So it's more like, did they subtitle it? I don't know. Yeah, but I think I'm used to 
first generation Sesame Street from my childhood. I think that's what I'm most familiar with. Well, Sesame Street first started airing in 1969. Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe these 70s or 80s mm-hmm. stuff is what we had tapes of. But one of the cool things about Sesame Street was that like some of the humans, they were on there for decades, right? Like it was the same people. It's mm-hmm. like Mr. Maria's Hooper. still there, like yeah. Mr. Hooper, right, up until he mm-hmm. died. Yeah. And they had to talk about that on Sesame Street. Oh, right. by the way, we have, um, so, yeah, so obviously we did our normal amount of Sesame Street exposure to kids. I, I don't think we ever watched Sesame Street or a lot of books. I don't know. Mm. Let's listen to some of the music CDs when my kids were a little younger. We also have the Lego Sesame Street set, which is very nice, like mm-hmm. the Lego Ideas set. Over at Big Bird's Nest, they have like a picture of Mr. Hooper. Oh, just like in in memorial. Lego Mr. Hooper, obviously. <laughs> wow, that's like <laughs> layers. No, but Sesame Street is still going strong today. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you watched any of the new stuff? Uh, not really. Maybe incidentally a clip or two, but I also like when when reading this fanfic, I was watching clips of old Sesame Street. But you know what? I saw some new Sesame Street. I don't know if Monsterpiece Theater is still a thing, but I feel like Cookie Monster is doing like movie adaptations of things. I remember seeing like a Jurassic Park. Um, yeah, they're still doing lots of stuff like that. Hmm. But um, the, the the there's a lot more music, and it really you, you can really tell they brought in a lot of like new Broadway people to write the music and sing the songs. It, is, it does feel like a modern Broadway show every so often. Interesting. <laughs> Do you have nibblings that are like Sesame Street age right now? Yeah, yeah. I got one five and three. Mm-hmm. We, we watch that sometimes. That's how I started watching Bluey and became obsessed with that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so have you seen some of the newer Sesame Street then, Dala? Yeah, yeah, off and on. Yeah, that's what she was describing about, like, very just musical the and The musicals. Such. Oh, I thought you were yeah. saying, are those specials or are those just, like, episodes? That's throughout every episode. Oh, okay. They, they have mu- musical sections of, um, you know, in, in every episode and different movie parodies. And if you listen wow. to how the intro is now, you really get the new Broadway sense. <laughs> well, I say new I Broadway see. now, but it's probably like world. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, we've got a fanfic today and it was wrecked somewhere online. I cannot remember, but it was like a while ago that I read it. And then, you know, in a way I'm cheating because it's a 2015 Yuletide story. So it's like not that old, right? But another way we're getting back to our roots where I'm just using this podcast as an excuse to make you read something and talk to me with about it yeah well you're the one that would say no it's too early we can't do that so <laughs> well okay i will distinctly say i don't think this fanfic is retro yeah no. but it's not new either so right we'll, well put it in the pod and stir it a bit and one of the reasons i like maybe we'll the wait retro three angle. years to release this episode <laughs> there you go one of the reasons i do like the retro angle of our podcast premise is that I like the idea of these things that people worked really hard on writing that like then kind of just come and go on the internet and people stop talking about them. Yes. And for us to like go back and point to them and be like, let's talk about this old stuff that, you know, is not getting attention anymore, but we want to talk about it. And in that sense, I'm glad to like kind of be pointing back out to this one. Yeah, I think 2015 still is safely in that. Absolutely. I mean, at this point, pre-COVID is a whole different era. (laughs) The story is called Exclusive Content. It's by Ellen Fremedon. And it, as a Yuletide story, it was written for someone who requested, you know, presumably a Sesame Street story. In this case, it was for Molybdomantic, um, who is also noted in the notes. It's new enough that it's on AO3 and everything's all very, like, well marked and labeled and mm-hmm. tagged and, you know, 
in the Yuletide 2015 collection and all that kind of thing. Also very hyperlinked. Um, the author kind of shows their work on some of the Sesame Street references. Should we jump into the content? Oh, yeah, the I did. exclusive content? <laughs> the exclusive content, yeah. I, I do want to add one thing. I think that maybe the reason you thought of this or like that it resonated with retro is that Sesame Street is something that most children, at least when we were growing up, only watch until they're about like six or seven sure, years old. Absolutely. So like reflecting back on this does feel like a retro mm. experience. Yeah. Because we're thinking early 90s and maybe even for y'all, you remember some of the late 80s. So Yeah, but this is pretty firmly a childhood experience. Indeed. And where this is written by and for uh, assumingly not child being written but being read by us not children today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the author's delving into stuff from the late 70s and that kind of thing, like as specific references or, you know, points of... Yeah. Well, a lot of the fanfic talk is about where it is um, culturally at, at, at the time mm-hmm. because the main... Seems like the uh, inspiration of this fanfic is talking is its um, Sesame's merger or agreement with HBO, which right. really yeah. uh, re- revitalized it. So this let's let's start we with that because mm-hmm. we have um, Cookie Monster as our narrator, and, and the whole fanfic is narrated from Cookie Monster's voice. Yes, yes. So he does not. What is the Cookie offers small Muppet Lady one carefully. So he doesn't use tenses correctly. In the fanfic, they refer to it as monster dialect. Yeah. Right. He refers to himself in the third person. He uses present tense. Mm -hmm. And he generally omits pronouns, I think, is kind of how Cookie Monster talks. I don't know. There's probably a formula online you can look at. (laughs) When I was looking at looking this up, I did find a blog post called Talk Like a Monster on like the League of Nerds. There you go. Uh, written by the Language Nerd 2013. And someone saying like, hey, I'm dressing as Cookie Monster for like a Halloween party. How do I talk like Cookie Monster? Mm-hmm. And, you know, independent of this person who wrote the fanfic in 2015, this, you know, Language Nerd does posit the existence of a monsterian dialect that he's using. And <laughs> he mm. notes that Cookie, like his whole family talks like that, that Cookie even code switches sometimes. Mm. Um, like he talks more or less um like monsterian or like what he calls sesame street standard sss um linguistic patterns uh, anyway yeah yeah uh so there's the only there's only one first person pronoun there's usually no copula mm. um in the present tense mm-hmm. and articles are uncommon mm, right. and all present tense verb forms are the same so cookie eat not eats Right. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to describe that. That was perfect. And Thank finally, negation that. is usually done with the word "no" or "not" before the verb. Mm-hmm. So there are no cookies in box, or you know, mm-hmm. me no steal you cookie. That kind of right. Thing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we, we we've we've got Cookie as the narrator, and Cookie is a um. Okay. So 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 the premise is they're meeting with an HBO executive, who is also a Muppet who Cookie imagines has been promoted hastily because of the HBO merger with like acquisition of Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, he does not pry. And the people meeting are this HBO executive Verity and Cookie and a bunch of writers for Monsterpiece Theater, writers and actors. Yeah, uh, Cookie suspects that the 
executive is a diversity hire. Right. Yes, because the executive is a Muppet. Everyone in the story is a Muppet, but some Muppets are monsters and some are humanoid Muppets. Which is, yes. has always been the case on yes. Sesame Street. Yeah. But that gets us right into, we get right into the Muppet identity politics, which is one of the content tags in this, um, uh, on AO3, right there in the first three paragraphs. I, I was afraid to click it and see what else came up. <laughs> <laughs> but in this fanfic, uh, monsters in Sesame Street are their own um, socio-ethnic group. Right. Yeah, and they are experiencing... And they're a subset of Muppets. They're still Muppets. Yeah. Mm. But I, the, the, I I know, like, the Muppeteers have always had that distinction where, like, is it, like, kind of a flat felt oh, yeah, body yeah, or is yeah. it, like, a furry body or whatever? Yeah, there's a whole lingo mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and and this author was very, like, careful to describe, yeah, the things in those terms. So no, you know, flesh and blood humans appear, but we do have, like, a very... At least Cookie. Well, first of all, Cookie Monster introduce, introduces himself as Alistair Cookie. Do, do monsters not have flesh and or blood? <laughs> uh, he does. Well, <laughs> he does refer to the fact that Muppet no, skin is felt. So I was I don't saying know. That that's Muppets. A, that's don't. A skin, though. Right. I was trying to say that Muppets. Like I was trying to distinguish between the humanoid Muppets yes, yes. and like an actual human. Ah, I, I'm just wondering in the context of this fanfic. <laughs> I, no, I think not. I mean, they're like, yeah, like Amato said, referred to as like felt. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I've been watching a lot of Voyager, and there's like a whole thing about holograms versus <laughs> organics. So, yeah. like, um, the doctor will frequently say, flesh and blood, photons and force fields. What is the difference? <laughs> anyway, that's actually not the identity politics that's being addressed here. No. Humans aren't really brought up. Well, um, they're brought, like, it, they, they come up. They come up, like but not in er, that. Early in the fanfic, there's... Well, let, let's see. Where is it here? Um, he introduces... So so present here are um, Cookie and Grover, his co-producer, and also Harry Monster, and then Don Music, who's a who's like a music person, and the Monsterpiece Theater stable of freelance writers. Now, Monsterpiece Theater is, of course, like a segment where they adapt, if you use the term very, very loosely, other works of fiction. Um, and so that 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 includes Prairie Dawn, the Count, and Biff and Sully. No, that's everybody in the room. They, they adapt it. They just they're, they're loose adaptations. Their adaptation of one adapted. flew over the cuckoo's nest is the letter, the number one flying over a cuckoo's nest. Yes, but they're not like saying this is like an original work, not right. even alluding to it as an adaptation. It is blatantly an adaptation. The adaptation is loose. <laughs> so, so speaking of. Of humans, there's that line after he introduces everyone. Cookie can see moment when Verity realized no one in room is human. Well, she say nothing. Yeah, Cookie realized it a little bit earlier, right? But and then that was like the the beginning of the fanfic. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of there. There's no human players in this fanfic. Well, they it, talk about humans and their places, and, and their place in human culture is referenced constantly, right? Which is interesting because, like, in this fanfic, you know, monsters are. Uh, a minority group mm-hmm. and this is the the concept of a minority group trying to uh, succeed in a world that like um puts them down and trying to break out stereotypes and right and like being very concerned with issues of representation in media for yes. that for that group yeah uh, but but in that segment right there uh cookie can see moment when verity realized no one in the room is human 
She say nothing, but she stop crating her neck, address next words to Muppet eye level. Yeah. It remind him a little of old times when calling selves all Muppets together is still warm and fuzzy in good way. Yeah. That's a bit of code switching stuff. Right. <laughs> yep. And what Verity wants for HBO is a Christmas, a, a ghost story for Christmas, because that's like a British tradition. And so a lot of the fanfic is people pitching ideas for that of like, mm-hmm. you know, writing things like the writers pitching ideas that they've been working on to Verity and right. kind of conversation back and forth about that. And they're also making like a direct reference to the success of like Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, <laughs> you know, they refer to um, Muppets frequently as well. Yeah. What- like um, within Disney, you uh, know, I, I like, like that line. Yeah. Disney, she, yeah. she says. So we would like to offer some exclusive seasonal programming for the holidays. Their awkward silence. What HBO really want is sequel to Kermit the Frog's Christmas Carol, but Kermit have extensive non-complete clause in Di- non-compete clause in Disney contract. Yeah, and th- there's this whole one of the one of the things I enjoy about this fanfic <laughs> is they position Muppets like they're usually positioned, like you know, like like when they have interviews with Kermit on like a, a talk show, right? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like Kermit is on the one hand an actor. But he plays himself in things. He's an actor, but also he's exactly like he is. He performs like Cookie Monster is a writer and an actor and producer for Monsterpiece Theater. But and, and like and on Sesame Street, but he's also 100% Cookie Monster as presented. That is like he's still obsessed with cookies. He still talks <laughs> like that. He's yeah. still like, you know, it, it's it's a very Muppet presentation of like this of, of these characters as characters and actors. Yeah, my my TikTok. It has a lot of Muppets in it, actually. And there's a lot of different clips of, like, um, Muppets doing promotions for their movies mm-hmm. on different talk shows and stuff. So it's just, like, well, in, yeah, yeah, it's the people puppeteering, but it is the characters doing promotions for their movie, talking to people, having interviews about their roles and their parts and That's the kind right. of things they play. And, like, just in general, these performances are fun because, like, the puppeteers just get full into improving and they just become the character. And I, I think recently, like they have a Muppet TikTok, and there's one that just said that was just Kermit, and the caption was just like reminding Disney that they have the M- Muppet copyright. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and like that all originates right from the idea of the humor of breaking the fourth wall, right? Yeah, that these like these characters know that they are performers, and also because. You know, it, for instance, in like Monsterpiece Theater or in the Muppet movies, they actually are playing right. other roles, but they're still playing them like they are themselves. Yeah. Um, but to really like this author does kind of go backstage with it <laughs> and say like these are real people, um, I think has like kind of an extra layer to it of humor. Um, and in a way, you know, the commentary they're making is actually quite serious Mm -hmm. but they do it in such i don't know uh it's like very easy to consume the way they've written it part of the pleasure is also the character voices Mm -hmm. which i think are very on point a lot of the time yeah um i I mean i'm gonna i'm gonna have to resist temptation just read the whole fanfic here but uh when when verity's saying what what hbo is looking for she says specifically verity say we are looking for the next big christmas ghost story Oh, oh, Miss Verity, Grover's stage whisper. It only kind of whisper he know how to do. <laughs> I do not know if you are aware of this, but ghost stories are for Halloween. Yes, that is right. Ghosts are for Halloween, and um, I forget what is for Christmas. 
Grover, how you forget? Christmas is for cookies. Yep. And Cookie goes on like listing all the cookies associated with Christmas until like eventually Verity gets frustrated and like tries to get them back on track. Yeah. So it's like he's still Cookie Monster thinking about issues of monster representation in media. It's 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 very fun in that way. And like taking the metaphor differently, if they talk like this, then a lot of their skits are them just trying to expose how monsters are to the world. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It adds a different angle to it. Um, and I like, there's this, I guess that's another angle of like kind of the, the, what's the word? Liminal state of like these characters as characters and actors. Mm-hmm. The shows kind of have a similar form where like, it makes me laugh that um, they're talking about like all the kinds of shows Monsterpiece Theater has done in the past. And Cookie at one point says, they all good shows, but truthfully, Cookie, proudest of early UK co-productions. Me, Claudius, first time on television, monsters do period drama in monster dialect. No one outside monster community noticed, but it big deal. Yeah. And like on the mm-hmm. one hand, you're like, oh, like good for you, Cookie Monster. I'm proud of you. But you follow the clip to me, Claudius, <laughs> and it's four monsters just wandering out dressed as Romans saying, me, Claudius. And everyone's like, no, me, Claudius, me, Claudius. And like that's part of what makes me laugh about this is like, the characters in this consider that period drama, like a serious adaptation of I, Claudius. Like, I, I don't know. It makes me laugh that like that's yeah, th- that's that's a serious business for them. Also, how crazy it is that they adapted I, Claudius. What the <laughs> At the yeah. end, Alistair Cookie is like, me still no not know who Claudius is, but me, Alistair Cookie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, man. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think there, yeah, there's an element of like playfulness that runs all the way mm-hmm. through this. And so that's, again, I guess just to reiterate that, like, it's so easy just to read this and be like, yep, that is, I'm consuming this through the humor. And I do wonder what it would be like, though, you know, for someone who is more resistant to ideas of identity politics you know there's mm-hmm. those conservative people sure. who are like yeah oh you snowflakes blah 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 but for me i was just like yes humorous social commentary go for it yeah <laughs> uh, but there's one point where verity says hbo is committed to fiber blind casting right <laughs> you know referring to casting monsters and i think cookie just um <laughs> oh, oh there's actually a great line oh yeah he doesn't roll his eyes it's like how his he, eyes are rolling all the time anyway they just like I bounce know. around in there <laughs> cookie not roll eyes at that not even a little bit just glance with slight circular motion in grover's direction grover watching verity bounce paddle ball and not listening but prairie stood up primly and frowned it it not very helpful but cookie's still moderately gratified it's <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of see how like cookies in this environment like uh uh, I mean, there's so many elements of humor there than not rolling his eyes, yeah. but also like just he's trying so hard to be the advocate for monsters. And there is also this element here, too, around how Cookie immediately acknowledges there's only two women in the room yes. and varies yes. one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, after he notes, <laughs> it's all these things going through Cookie's head that he is reluctant to speak about openly unless he has to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, on the other hand, she and Prairie on only women in room cookie deeply aware this highly problematic muppet creative world still very much old boys club which i think is also like good to note because yeah. like especially in the muppets the female characters is like two like there's so few relatively i know sesame street is better than like the muppets itself 
But even so, I don't know. Well, yeah, because, you know, these were shows that were created, you know, decades ago at a time where, like, television was just expected to have more male than female characters. And especially, like, when you create a monster that's supposed to be a humorous character, they're expected to be a man because, you know, aside from Lucille Ball, women can't be funny. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, yeah, but yeah, yeah like, yeah. totally. And, like, the female characters play, like, very, like, Prairie, for instance. Um, it's a very, like, stereotypically feminine role. Um, I, I'd call back to, like, casting in general for theater and shows. You have many diverse roles for men. You got, like, the hero, the villain, the son. But, like, it, then you have, like, the woman role. <laughs> and that's, like... Mm-hmm. The one rule that's r- written for women, and then it gets cast like that. You you have like you're either the daughter, the mother, or the grandma in every show. That's who you are. Yeah. And if you age out of one, then you, ha- you have to move to the other. That's right. Yeah. Uh, indeed. Um, and that's there is a literary trope. Um, I was gonna say virgin horror dichotomy, but I think it's actually more like there's like the virgin, the mother, and the crone. Mm, yeah, I, I, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's that. The maiden, yeah. the mother, and the crone. I think is actually how it goes. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and yeah, that's like that's a thing, and it's been a thing, you know, for so long in Western literature that we're only now, and I mean, like in the last ten years, really making significant strides against that in children's media yeah like sure okay you the 80s and 90s you had like 1995 i was thinking about voyager you've got you know plenty of strong women in that cast yeah but and there's plenty of things that had strong women but it was exceptional and star trek's always been kind of boundary breaking really nowadays seeing strong female characters in media especially media directed towards children is like almost brand new yeah, which is shocking. And in the, the uh, metaphor of this fanfic, it is interesting because mostly it talks about um, monsters as a minority group. But then this early on, where, it, where Cookie Monster recognizes that he's also participating in other systems of oppression too, which mm-hmm. is, um, I'm on a lot of like Tumblr and TikTok discourse, <laughs> and a lot of it is about like different uh, minority groups being prejudiced against other minority groups. And not understanding that's all the same system of of, of impression. Mm-hmm. It's not the same system of oppression, and it's hard for a lot of people to realize. Like, as an example, in like the uh, gay community, there's a lot of racism, mm-hmm. and you know, in the like the and and when talking about race, sometimes like like they they disclude like the gay community, like it goes. A lot of different ways and yet everybody has to be aware of all the yeah <laughs> systems of repression at the same time and it's hard to like switch from the mentality of being like always the victim to maybe you're you're not in this case and that's hard for people to you know move between it's a big picture thing it's mm-hmm. true and i mean we can talk about intersectionality until the cows come home but i think when you really come back down to the individual Mm-hmm. It is hard. And I think you said it very well. Um, and maybe like that's kind of the wonderful thing about Cookie totally identifying yes. the sexism. B- being aware of it. And being aware of it. He doesn't do much to counteract it. But can't in that moment, I think. Unless I think you so. call in yeah. more more women writers. 
who knows? <sighs> yeah. But yeah, it's very interesting. Though I don't think this fanfic is meant to be taken that seriously. Like being like I wasn't gonna break it down to that level <laughs> of like, oh, Cookie Monster could be doing more for women in this instance. Because no, really, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not going that that direction. I'm oh just, no, I know you're yeah. not. I just meant like. I'm just saying that that it's noted and dealt with properly in like a couple sentences. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once we get our exactly. setup, I think they did exactly what they could do in that instance. Yeah. With the way their story's going, because it's a well-crafted story. Yeah. Once we get the setup, there's kind of some humorous bits, which are very funny, of people pitching, um, pitching shows. For example, the Count steps up first and proposes his adaptation of Hamilton which is great. Cookie flips through to the end of it, and it's count the count as Hamilton counting 45 Federalist Papers, 46 <laughs> Federalist Papers, all the way up to 51. That was good. And then company. Hamilton wrote the other 51, and then they go into music. It's, it's hilarious. It's perfect. You would find that on the show. Yeah, except they can't do it because right. Harry Monster points out... Count, you know the numbers above 40 are outside our remit. Cookie glad Harry say it so he not have to. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Sesame Street inside baseball stuff. Right. I wasn't even aware of till I had this and I had the hyperlink to <laughs> oh, <laughs> the annotation. Yeah. They make like a, a like huge callback. According to a contract we negotiated when Square One. Okay. They use every single U as a V when the count talks. That's right. Yeah. Uh, was, was still on the air. <laughs> That doesn't give us license to start teaching new math. If you introduce kids to the hundreds place, the next thing you know, they're asking their parents about decimals. And you would, they would rather learn it on the street. <laughs> oh, I it's forget. Great. We are the street. <laughs> we have one, one unique educational mission. Uh, the count's great. And Could then take advantage of thunderclap to interrupt before either of them mention <laughs> common core. So specific. Yeah. I know. Common Such core. specific jokes. Oh my God. Jokes for teachers. But, Ver Verity wants <laughs> Verity says HBO wants something spooky, which also brings us to one of the best lines in this, where Cookie does Sesame Street talk about transgressiveness. Yeah, well, she said, "Well, that's what they quote at the start of the thing yes. for good reason." She says, "So unless you have something a little more spooky, in old days, Cookie think just having monsters on television was spooky. Monsters doing classy drama was transgressive. Transgressive mean it a thing that people not expect you to do, and they think you strange when you do it. It's special kind of surprise." And it's just such a great yeah. Sesame Street style description of a very complicated word, right? Yeah. I was like, I'm, that's how I'm going to explain that word from <laughs> now on. And he makes you laugh. Too He's because... not even talking to anybody in like terms of, like as educational, you know, dialogue. It's just like how how he thinks about things as a Sesame Street character is like describing it in this very like easy to digest way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that brings us back kind of to what we we're saying that like every character is the character like, right. down to what they do in the show. Right. And apparently the weird one thing they bring up at the very beginning is Verity shows up and tells them why she's there. And then she stops and goes, wait, you she says, I know you know this, but I'm here from HBO, blah, blah, blah. Wait. You did already know that. Why did I say that out loud? <laughs> and there's this sort of reflection on apparently there's, I don't know, something in the air. Yeah. Educational yeah. exposition exposition is just like in the air. I thought Sesame that was a little Street. bit on the nose. I would prefer that that be Sesame Street culture. Yes. Like it is in Muppet yes. Family Christmas, where like <laughs> another character is talking to Bert and Ernie and like 
I, I don't know. They're pointing out things that start like what letter the words start with. And he's like, yeah, but why, why are you saying that? And they're like, oh, that's just small talk where we come from. Well, <laughs> if they are just made out of felt and there's no blood or flesh and every time the count does something, there's a lightning flash, I'd posit that these are actually more mystic creatures than biological. So maybe, not wrong. maybe there's a spell effect around them. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I would assume is that this is an environmental effect of being because Verity comes to Sesame Street studio. So it's like some sort of environmental effect of being on Sesame Street property. But, you know, like, that's not the point. The point is the joke. And it is funny. And it's, it's also funny the things that um, that Prairie Dawn pitches. She has wor- adaptations based on the works of the great Victorian novelist Elizabeth Gaskell. One of them is North and South, and you see the script for that. Well, uh, like before that, like the Verity asked Prairie oh, right. for, for input. It's like, you know, uh, trying to get. She asked Prairie, like, do you have any scary stuff? Uh, what do you have? What do you got here that's scary? Well, there's patriarchy, Prairie began, class stratification, ignorance, religious discrimination, and die poverty. I don't know what we can show on a children's show that's any scarier than that. Uh, yeah, that, that's the end of that <laughs> sequence. I thought that was a great line. Yeah. 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 No, that was after that first pitch there. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. But then that leads us into what becomes, I would say, the emotional climax of the story, where Biff and Sully, who are uh, construction workers during their day job, but I guess they also like, you know, Moonlight as writers for Monster Peace well, Theater. Th- that's what they play also. They play. <sighs> well, the, this, wait, is the, wait, wait, this is the writer's room. This is the writer's room. Yes. Right. They are they? Wait, I was just making this like high level assumption that they're characters. But if the the characters supposed to be this, are they the same professions? Oh, oh, I just think I broke my brain. <laughs> like, are they construction workers and writers while also playing construction workers on the show? I think they're construction worker muppets that joined this project and joined yeah. as writers like it's right. one thing to like be a monster because that's yes. like an identity it's another thing to be a construction worker because that's a job but but this doesn't exist and this is their mystical beings so their existence okay. can can just be monster construction worker but they're not monsters though. B- B- no they're, they're not monsters they're just muppets, they're just muppets. muppets. Um, yeah. so biff and biff and sully all right they're the humanoid first yeah they're the humanoid muppets because <laughs> that's important in this yeah yeah, yeah. They've actually got a ghost story pitch, number 13 by M.R. James. And mm. you get to see, you know, they have the count in mind because it's, it's very number based. Mm-hmm. And like you get to see the script. Um, it's a pretty good pitch, actually. It's a pretty good pitch, right. <laughs> they hear singing. They're staying in room 12 and room 14 at a hotel. They hear singing. The script says, but wait a moment. Room 12 is next to room 14. But I feel like there should be something between them. No, something we are both forgetting between 12 and 14. They're like, I know. Let's count the rooms. Cookie think he can guess what come next. You skip ahead. <laughs> the counting very atmospheric. Sully have good, appreci- good appreciation for Count's range as performer. Yeah. <laughs> but then they find room 13, the number 13 in between 12 and 14, and inside, like, it's creepy. It opens up. It's a monster intended to be Grover in a bath towel. And he's like, oh, goodness, you startled me. I was taking a bath and you knocked so loudly. What is the matter? Cookie not even need to read next. It great part for Grover, the first time he play it. But it'd been decades since Monsters of Venice and Monster in the Mirror, and it's not so groundbreaking anymore. He doesn't even mention the monster at the end of this book. Which mm-hmm. is also, like, I, th- I was thinking that too. Yeah. Um, oh my god, I love, I forgot about that book. Yeah. I loved that book. But yeah, yeah, he's pointing out, like, at first, uh, it was great just to have a monster do something 
that a monster wasn't expected to do, yeah. not right. be scary. But so there's this there's this thing where Cookie says, Biff, a good start, but you lost me at Climax. Take it back to Workshop. But Verity's like, no, 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 wait. I, I think this is exactly what we're looking for. Like HBO's really, um, this is exactly the sort of thing Monster Piece Theater is known for. And I feel like this next paragraph is, like I said, the emotional climax. And after this, they kind of have to talk it out. But mm-hmm. Cookie says, an exactly sort of thing we known for 30 years ago. Me refuse. Verity look up at that because Cookie still have script approval. Mm-hmm. But they all know Verity hold purse strings. Cookie say it again for good measure. Me refuse to do one more story where it's shocking twist ending that monster not eat people. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's unexpectedly powerful yeah. there. Like, I know. <laughs> like, I almost feel like you could, I mean, there's actually the vocabulary in this is a little bit like, there were some words I didn't even know. Uh-huh. Um, but other than that, I feel like you could really, like, take this story, and it's not long, it's 3,000 words, right? Um, And give it to kids, and it would be a great explanation of, like, this oppression in an accessible way. Yeah. Yeah. They have to talk about what, what the issue is. Because, like, some Muppets are, are like, well, they, they want the role, they want the part, and they don't understand what the problem is. And they, they, they end up, like, they said, like, uh, um, talking about how the script is political, and and, and, and Biff, who, who wrote it, says, like, what's political about the script? We don't, we don't say anything against monsters. What, what, that, what does that mean? And then, <laughs> and then they cap it off with, Sully suddenly clutched forehead. He leaned over and whispered in Biff's ear. Biff's eyebrows go up. Ah, oh, Sully, do you mean that by having the other characters expect a monster to be all scary, we could be normalizing that expectation and reinforcing implicit bias against monsters? <laughs> Which is great to have Sully be the one to whisper that in Biff's ear. Yes. You don't even hear it directly. Yeah. It's it's all it's very yeah. funny with the Biff and Sully and then characters. Then says, me no want to be one to say it. <laughs> so right. that, that was the issue, and they very plainly said what the problem was because like it felt uncomfortable before but i, I couldn't really artic- articulate why <laughs> <laughs> right and like and that line goes on with um biff apologizing yes. saying oh gee i'm sorry we didn't mean it we'll do better next time won't we sully yeah so like they're literally understanding the mistake and trying to remedy it and it's just so like i mean it's wholesome in the same way that sesame street is yeah and it kind of, I think what makes me like this fic a lot is that, yeah, it's it's a bit simple, but what it boils down is like, yes, that's all you need to do mm-hmm. is try to be better, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it's not enough just to make a promise, but I think in that moment I that there was some, you know, form of sincerity there. Yeah. And then there's this whole thing where they're talking on what do they do? Because Verity's like, look, whatever, we just need an actual show so that everybody can stay employed. And so they're bouncing back and forth with ideas. They they mention, you know, quote, guest stars, which everybody knows to mean mm-hmm. humans, mm-hmm. which is, they don't normally do. Yeah. Um, guest stars, wrong approach, Cookie think. If he be honest, Feltface is wrong approach. In old days, this show just him and Grover and whoever else they could get. Oh. Two monsters writing for monsters. Yes. That was important. Important mean that it matter, that other monsters counting on them. And um, they, they propose non-traditional casting, like maybe the Count's friend is the monster and the spooky singing is coming from like a, bi- a pig or sheep. And there's all this like processing by Cookie with all these proposals. Mm-hmm. Non-traditional casting. It's step in right direction, but not in way Verity mean it, taking away part from monster. Yeah. There should be more parts for monsters. New parts. Make everyone monster. Make monster. Wait. 
And that's what kind of leads into his final proposal. Yeah. <laughs> that and the Count's offhand comment earlier on about a sketch that he did with Susan Sarandon, uh, which I also went and watched on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, and yeah, it it makes you... I agree. It's like it's like really good and kind of just like pointing out what's the issues, what's the issues at play here. And the main thing is that, yeah, like he wants monsters to be doing yeah. to have cool roles that are not based in the ac- cultural expectations that other people have of monsters. Yeah. Right. Right. And that like, um, yeah, the monsters aren't playing against the felt faces. <laughs> Or that sounds a little guest bit stars. I, I know. a little bit rude. I like. Yeah, I don't know if there's another word. I don't even know. I mean, uh, like, who's the language that's being come up with here? Is like, yeah, this yeah. this metaphor strains at points. It yeah. does a little bit. But <laughs> I love the conclusion because they come up with, um, yes, based on Susan Strandon, he comes up with the Rocky Horror Monster Show. Yeah, he's like Grover. How you like play Janet? Ingenue role with a big surprise. They're singing, they're dancing. Grover's like, I like it already. Because <laughs> Grover was talking about wanting to stretch his artistic range. <laughs> and he pitches it. Imagine young monster named Janet. She not grow up around many monsters. Not familiar with heritage. Late one night, she take refuge from thunderstorm in castle of Dr. Frank and Cookie, famous monster scientist. Of course he cast himself in the big <laughs> He having party for monster <laughs> friends. Just monsters. Just monsters? Don music incredulous. Just monsters. Dr. Cookie introduced Janet to Rocky Monster, new monster that he make in laboratory out of cookies. That you, Harry. And obviously, like, the other Muppets are like, isn't it a bit, they're looking for a word like exclusionary to say, like, it's only monsters here? Yeah. And that leads to Cookie's other big speech here. No, no, it not. It like, Cookie, look around room at all the colorful acrylic faces and button eyes. It like, when we out on Sesame Street or at Hooper's store with Maria and Chris and Bob, we all just people together. But when we all in here, just us, we not only people, we Muppets. That also who we are. That important. Everyone nod, fast or slow. Biff look around like he not noticed before, but they all get it. And when it just me and Grover and Harry, we not just Muppets together. We monsters. We monsters all the time, but it different when we not also being something else. And everybody kind of is more or less like on board with this. And it's like, yeah, okay. Okay, we kind of get it. And Verity likes the idea of being able to pitch an all-monster production. And like, you know, they start talking about sending word around to all the other monsters. Um, like, e- even Elmo might want to get in on this one. Someone says, I-, I like this idea that Elmo's like way too big a star to like, yeah. generally speaking, be on Monsterpiece Theater. Like, he's got his own show. He's got, you know, who knows what Elmo's up to, but like yeah. much bigger deal stuff. But, like, this is kind of a project where they might be able to, like, lure him back in or whatever. Yeah. And <laughs> also, I think it's funny when they describe the ending of Rocky Horror Monster Show. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. It's their mommies who come and get them. And that's what sparks the conversation. And their mommies are monsters. <laughs> yes, their mommies are Because, <laughs> okay, I mean, I audience, if you don't know Rocky Horror Picture Show, this probably isn't making a lot of sense to you, but go watch Rocky Horror Picture Show and then it will. End of story. <laughs> but like, it, 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 it's funny like, because, like, on the one hand, it's insane that they would be, like, adapting Rocky Horror Picture Show from, for, you know, yeah. Sesame Street, but it, it often it is, like, I was watching their adaptation of Twin Peaks, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> exactly. It's called Twin Beaks. 
Oh my god, I have they, to see that. Like, like, they adapt right anything now. I mean, <laughs> right now. We'll, we'll go back yeah, to okay. I Claudius, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that's he, a really good point. When the Count is pitching his various number-based shows, Cookie does think that Fifty Shades of Grey might be a bit n- not approved for street. Also, it's over 40. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so is Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, actually, yeah. All, <laughs> uh, all, all of the Count's proposals, 100 Years of Solitude, mm-hmm. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, they're all more than 40. He's clearly trying to push it. 100 Years yeah. of Solitude. <laughs> uh, I, I can't stop uh, trying to imagine these. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing about the Rocky Horror Picture Show analogy is it's a clear pivot to, you know, a movie about being queer. And they even cast Grover, who is nominally a male monster, as the mm-hmm. female ingenue. And he's totally for it. I mean, of course, because monsters cross-dress all of the time and it's not a thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so... I do think Grover they comes across be... as game for anything, frankly. Right. And I also, the, they be... they're in comedy, too. And so that's the angle. It's comedy skits. A lot of times men will cross-dress as women for a laugh. Yes. <laughs> but I also think that in this, that's not the tone. Yes. And I think in times, you know, the Muppets, that's not the tone either. I think it's just casting. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I don't remember Sesame Street that well. I, anyway, I guess my main point was, like, I think it's a bit of a stretch like we are jumping a mm. little bit because it seemed a lot more like we were talking about maybe like issues of racism before For sure and now well he didn't he didn't pivot to try to make the metaphor different it's just that no. the use of rocky horror Im- suggests like makes one think about more like you know it's a bit of a leap but i do still think it's very fun and it's a very cute ending I um and in fact that's pretty much the end. We just kind of have like they end up producing that and then we've kind of got our summary paragraph at the end, right? Yeah, like Verity says she'll talk to HBO. Um Harry the the producers, which is Cookie, Harry, and Grover sit down to start like uh working on the writing and or costume design, which is what Grover is going to do. Um or about to work on. And then yeah, there's the final paragraph wrapping it up. Did you want to read it, Tori? Because it's also a really good paragraph again. Well, I, I, yeah, I do. Um, I also like just before that, I love the fact that Grover sits down to like write a design. He brings out his tablet, his external keyboard, his, his moleskin journal, and his box of crayons. <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately starts doodling. Um, where's the white crayon? I want Jan's costume to be something white. It shows up better in night shot. <laughs> just adorable. I feel like there are writers that work like that. <laughs> box of crayons and everything. Right, because yeah. of, of course Grover writes with crayons, right? He doesn't course, use a pencil, yeah. like yeah. But yeah. he's also got his tablet and right. keyboard and like moleskin journal. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. The last paragraph is, um, kind of just this reflection, um, from Cookie. Five monsters, four monsters. Grover's still diva. Cookie still have addictive personality. This partnership have never lasted more than six months at once. You know what? You should read it because you can do the Cookie Monster voice. But when when I read the narration, I just read it out normally. I only yeah. read Cookie Monster voice when Cookie's speaking. Oh, okay. That's how I've decided to do this. All right. <laughs> Cookie still have addictive personality. This partnership have never lasted more than six months at one stretch since Harry started working on his codependency issues. Interesting. But they still have one more good show in them. And then, who knows? Maybe one more. Maybe one more after that. 
in this one thing, maybe a good cookie still not know how to stop. (laughs) (laughs) It's very cute. Yeah, it is very cute. Anyway, that's the fanfic Mm -hmm. that I wanted an excuse to talk about. Yeah, 4,000 words. It's actually quite dense for 4,000 words. There's oh, a lot of stuff in it. The concept is well, like just the the pull between creatives and executives mm-hmm. of minorities and representation mm-hmm. and like the fact that the, 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 the that it comes down to a head with the um the the right to create a refer, refusal versus the, who has the purse strings. Right. <laughs> and some compromise has to be reached, right? Somewhere. If they, if they want to produce this show. Yeah. Right? And then if you're thinking about it in, the, in this context, the fact that they can even stand up for themselves is because they have a have a monster in the creative lead position in the first place. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, just that, I mean, even, even the thing where Monster Peace Theater was conceived of by Cookie and Grover as yes. by Monsters for Monsters, but as it continued, it's sort of like, drifted in its focus and it expanded in like its range a bit frankly it makes me think about sesame street itself where like sesame street was supposed to be like aimed at inner city kids who like needed really good educational programming that was like their passion of what they Mm -hmm. were doing but as it went around that focus kind of got lost also in sesame street um just based based on the economic realities the sponsorships the like all those things and so i don't know it makes me a little bit like well, the fact that their funding switched from public television funding to HBO, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah, I was gonna yeah inquire about that. When did that happen? I mean, I'm not I'm not chew up on my Sesame Street That's, history. I mean, but like, like out of pure curiosity, it was like 2015 yeah. or something. Well, around yeah. the time the fanfic came, it must out. have been recent because yeah, like I don't know when. Yeah, when I was growing up, it was public access. That's television. not recent. That's seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's recent. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it just, it makes me think about Sesame Street itself and feel a little bit like, I don't know, wistful's not the right word, but it's like, kind of like making me muse about like that, that journey of that show also and like the passion behind it, behind its creation in the first place. Yeah. It's, it's all interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you all have seen that one, like, I I don't spend a lot of time on the internet, but for some reason that's post just being passed around at various locations that was like, Sesame Street to introduce its first homeless Muppet and someone responding, what do you mean Oscar the Grouch has been living in a trash can for over 30 years? (laughs) Not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But it is interesting to think about because Sesame Street apparently is still committed to Mm -hmm. tackling social and systemic issues. I remember watching the documentary about Sesame Street adaptations in other countries. Yeah. And like, it's really cool because they always went in the Sesame Studios with the goal of like, Talking to people on the ground there, being like, what do you want from Sesame Street? Like, I was say, that's what a, is that's Sesame, amazing. It's what so... is Sesame Street? How can Sesame Street help you? Mm-hmm. And like, that's what they work towards. And sometimes, sometimes like people really want to use like the classic Sesame Street characters, like Japan uses a lot of them. And other times people like think it's a lot better to use like locally created characters. Sometimes they use more or less segments from Sesame Street, but like they talk about issues that are like relevant to like the individual mm-hmm. cultures. Like they, they always change it from you know, Sesame Street is a street because it was supposed to be an inner city street community. Mm-hmm. And like it changes to like what's what's kind of the most appropriate gathering place in this culture that we can make this. And it's Sesame, whatever that is. Yeah. It's it's such cool stuff. I think Latin America's positive Sesame. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I mean, honestly, like kind of growing up 
somewhat middle class and white, mm-hmm. you know, um, in a lot of white neighborhoods too. Um, seeing Sesame Street was an early exposure to difference, to diversity. Yeah, and like, that that exact setup, like that kind of street, I couldn't relate to it, but it wasn't it wasn't for me to relate to. Yeah, it was that that was the point, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this makes me think of Monster Peace Theater being a some kind of thing for like Muppet you know community and for monster community and monster children as presented yeah. in this fanfic for, for the the tone of the fanfic really fits the tone of the, the mission of when, when they franchise out to to different different uh markets and areas where mm-hmm. it's like not trying to impose one thing but trying to be what they need yeah as it goes for for the people that are going to watch it <laughs> for the people they want to watch it yeah and I, th- I think, again, like, there's just this strong emphasis of, like, seeing, I remember, I might be wrong, but, like, a lot of the human, like, recurring characters are people of color. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you see the Muppets and you see people of color and, like, you're just, like, I don't know. It was, I'm sure, just a very different, I mean, think about, like, when was the first Star Trek that was, like, 65 67 i don't even remember it wasn't that far before uh, sesame street started and having like a nichelle nichols on it was like revolutionary oh yeah no it was a big deal 66 yeah Yeah. just because she was black 66 and so sesame street i think you know for being a children's program maybe even more so in a way it was a big big deal i remember some newspapers uh, not a lot but a handful of newspapers dropping peanuts when Schultz introduced Franklin. Um, mm. And, you know, his attitude was like, you know, screw him. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. he, he thought it was important. I, I feel like he never quite pegged down a personality. Like, Franklin's one of those characters that's there for, like, other people to talk to more often than, you know, anything else. But whatever. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're getting a little bit off track. <laughs> we are. From, from the fanfic. Should we close it up? I, I, yeah, I just want to talk about how interesting it is to... The that that this fanfic is in the position of a mi- minority and also a uh, creative, mm-hmm. trying to balance that out and, and still make a project and make it work, and how I, I think it's it, it's a very good example of how important it is to have you know representation all all throughout a, a project you know writers room creative mm-hmm. and yeah. And it's hard not to translate some of these metaphors back to to real life, where they talk about like casting and writing roles for like 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 people of color, and it's like oh it it's funny like it's not about that, so like, well, yeah, but there's the implicit bias that mm-hmm. exists, and that's why this is problematic, and then trying to write around that and for positive re- representation yeah i'm I'm talking about somebody who does like community theater and stuff mm-hmm. and having to do South Pacific and seeing a whole scene about a a man wearing a hula dress and that's supposed to be a comedic scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just being in that head space for, for a while. We we couldn't uh change that because of the the, the license part of the licensing. Licensing, yeah. yes. Um when you get the permission to do some plays that still have a have a copyright, then you don't have permission to alter it or alter the script in, in any meaningful in any big way. So even though you have these weird problematic things, 
you're not if you, allowed if you put like, it on the show you you have that's part of it that's interesting yeah and yeah i just memories of sitting there because i was just playing one of the sailors and like the direction was like be happy or like laugh more i'm like no <laughs> and just like being in that position as a minority and in a creative thing and also and also you're just trying to put on a fun show <laughs> right and no yeah it's funny the thing about this because the stuff they're talking about is little weird gag sketches skits, right but they still have to be written <laughs> yeah <you know? laughs> right and, and they're all very serious about writing them yeah yeah yeah. You, you have to be absolutely serious about re- <laughs> writing these little silly, silly skits. You're suddenly making me think about the Sesame Street writers' room, where real people did have to pitch Monsterpiece Theater, you know, things and yeah. like have this. I mean, maybe not the same kind of feedback, because I doubt they were worried about their representation of monsters necessarily. Yeah, but like, you know, you you pitch it to the room or whatever, and like try to find a good. A good adaptation of, or if if you can call it that, of you know, Little House on the Prairie or whatever. Yeah, right. Well, and I'm sure that there was a lot of back and forth about like, our you know, what can we get away with essentially in terms of being progressive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm for Sesame sure Street in general, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, especially in the early days. And so this does sort of reflect back on that. Well, I think we should finish it up. So in this fanfic exclusive content, what is something that we want to complain about or that we think might have been done better? It's a, it's a very delicate thing to um, create a fantasy racism and mm-hmm. discuss it. it. It's a very uh, tough t- tightrope to walk. And sometimes the metaphor can fall apart and, if that if the racism but metaphor falls apart, it becomes problematic really quick. I understand. Was there anything that bothered you, like any parts in the story specifically well, that you're thinking of? Well, we talked about how making fun of, of like the the term felt face felt mm-hmm. uncomfortable to like make a joke of. Right. Yes. No, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, like the, the quote unquote felt faces were supposed to be the people in relative power but in that's situation. but not even I, compared yeah. to humans yeah right i like, know i know and i agree i think i'm just like reflecting on why that term was used yeah 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 it's it you're you're right every time it overlaps with like actual real world like racism and racial issues it's weird like er, very early on also um when verity when he meets verity Verity is HBO executive. Privately, Cookie suspects she HBO intern until very recently. Mm-hmm. Privately, Cookie wonder if HBO even have any monster interns to promote, or if all their Muppet hires like Verity, with low-nap felt skin and bubblegum pink that not even try for ethnic ambiguity. And, I mean, it's kind of funny because, yeah, there's, there's like, Muppets that are coded racially and Muppets that are not, but, it, like, it feels kind of weird to bring in the actual... I don't know. It's odd. Well, and also, with these... um. Uh, fantasy racism metaphors racism in humans is dumb because we're all the same species and everything the same but in these sort of fantastical uh, racism allegories they're literally different Mm -hmm. species or something or weird filth abominations 
animated by dark magic. Something you know? like that. Yeah, along <laughs> yeah. those lines. Certainly. And comparing it to um, human racism doesn't make sense because human racism is based off of nothing. Right. All fucking made up stuff. But when there's actually are different biological, biological and physical issues, it makes it problematic because a lot of the arguments uh. for, for racist people are like, oh, there are actually physical differences and stuff when you solve just I mean, people. it's like Star Trek, right? Where like Klaons have tons of redundant organ systems. Like, I don't know. Vulcans have green copper-based blood. Well, I, I think... But they're still creating racial allegory. I don't know. I think this fanfic handles that fairly well. And like you said, it's very sensitive. But yeah. because for the most part, any difference between people is cultural and or individual. Yes. Like... There's nothing said about like, oh, because someone's a monster or a Muppet, they have any different experience, like any different like physical experience, so to speak, or like. Well, they mentioned craning the neck. Well, yes. Well, I mean. Yeah. But there's. There's height differences in various subset groups as well. You but know, as a group, mm -hmm. all completely. <laughs> no, 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 uh, no diversity. In it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does make me think, actually, some Muppets are quite enormous that like there's yes, puppets yes. that are larger than humans like well, i mean like they, very large monsters and big bird and, and stuff yeah, like I, that i'm not saying that that's an issue in this mm -hmm. fic in particular i'm th i'm talking about in general uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Using it I, as I hear a, you yeah yeah i mean well, that's fair i don't have many complaints one this is the the uh, the hyperlinks half of them are broken which is like not something I can really expect to still like be intact in 2015, but one does kind of want to. Maybe too many hyperlinks, dude. Too many annotations. I think, I think the hyperlinks are a little thick, especially early on. They, there's practically no hyperlinks in the last, you know, I don't know, third of the story. And there's some things that I think don't need hyperlinks. Right. Don't, don't need annotations. Mm. I think that's probably true. It, it was a little bit thick and it made me like um, leery of following any of them early on. Yeah, only when I reread this was I like, okay, let me. Um, it was it was distracting, and frankly, I I think you just have to ignore it. Yeah, I, I think that's probably best. Yeah, I do appreciate. I think the most important hyperlinks to exist. Reference seeing, I think the links to some Monster Piece Theater sketches mm -hmm. are actually kind of valuable because I didn't remember Monster Piece Theater. Like no. I, I, you know, I appreciate the me Claudius link. <laughs> I didn't even realize those were hyperlinks. I was just like, why is this text underlined? My phone must be doing something wrong. <laughs> I see. Darn it. I missed out. I, I don't think you did, though, is my point. Uh, so you don't think they really added anything? Do you think they added something? I, I think, like I just said, having links to old Monsterpiece Theater sketches, I think that's a good idea just because you might want to re-familiarize yourself with what even this deal is. But maybe the formatting. I think at the end, you could have a series of links. That's true. Instead not of it being... In the in the thing itself. Right. Like, it, I, it, here, like, here's a refresher of different things if you want to remember what it's like. And there's things that you definitely do not need a hyperlink to. I do not need a link to the Muppet Wiki article on Muppet Christmas Carol. Like, if you just mentioned Kermit the Frog's Christmas Carol, like, I kind of know what you're talking about. It's fine. Indeed. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my complaint. Yeah. Um, mine's kind of different. I honestly, like, I, I kind of alluded to it. The I did really like the Rocky Horror Monster Show idea, and I thought it was hilarious. But it was a, a strange pivot, and it made the ending feel 
like after all that discussion, landing on it, it felt a little truncated and it mm. felt like nothing was quite resolved. Mm. And I think especially for me, um, I, I've got some thoughts on the last paragraph. I like it. But for we jump right into that last paragraph, like whoop wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. To me, that pacing just felt a little rapid um, compared to the rest of the narrative. And I feel like something maybe they could have done is like they could have ended just on like Grover like drawing the dress and being like, oh, mm-hmm. there we go. Yeah, I, I would be hesitant to admit like Cookie Monster's line though about like at least in this way. It's Maybe. good that Cookie not know how to stop, yeah. you know, because that feels good. Yeah. But jumping from um, a very, what do I want to say? Like very, there's no time skips in this entire narrative yeah. until that last three sentence paragraph. So I would either add Is there a time more. skip in that paragraph? It's not a time skip. That's just him being reflective. Yeah. Like. Uh, it's he's musing that like we're going to do this one show and then maybe we'll be able to get oh. one more good show. Okay, well, that was my misunderstanding because I thought he was reflecting on the show after it had already started. No. Okay. They're still just at the writing, pre-writing stage there. Well, but, that... but I understand what you mean. It does seem a little fast where you're like, everyone's on board, let's do this. Um, it doesn't really resolve all of the issues around what they're going to be doing in the future, which is fine. But right. like, it does, It. Do, I think you're right that the ending seems a little bit It's a jump in, fast. yeah, into... Cookie's reflection. Um, I would have either put a little more of a transition in between those last two paragraphs, uh, flesh out a little bit, or just ended it with uh, Grover's line and be like, "Yep, we're working on the show." End of story. I, I liked the wrap up. I think, mm-hmm. like, I, I do like the wrap up. I just felt like it was rap- a rapid wrap up. Where like the conflict of the story is, um, figuring out what to put your effort towards in a writer's room. I I do think nailing down a concept and going for it is a pretty satisfying conclusion. Mm-hmm. I, well then, like, like if we think about for us trying to think about episode ideas and stuff like, yeah, think, like relating it to that process, once we get something and figure it out, that is like the conclusion of that moment move on, <laughs> moving on. Oh yeah. It's That's a right. totally satisfying conclusion. Yeah. I just feel like narratively speaking, jumping, from the internal to the external very or the external to the internal very rapidly well i, I think a lot of a lot of things spends time in the um in internal and I, and I and it felt good for me to wrap up with that because it's i felt like it started with, with that too well speaking well, of a satisfying <laughs> wrap-up what is your favorite thing about this story or something that we want to praise on our way out i mean the discussion between creatives and executives and minorities and being in the writing room excellent mm-hmm. well done i think what i want to praise is that um a, coming up with this whole kind of um idea of how they could imagine monster identity politics playing out and having a story focused on that mm-hmm. that's like pretty impressive by itself but also, it's very funny for like a lot of oh, it. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think it might have been easy to get like lost in like how clever you're being. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the author managed to also just get a lot of good like good lines and character humor and like funny things in there along the way that make it 
which is part of what makes it so enjoyable to read. Yeah, I think that's some kind of a mark of maybe somebody who enjoys like really good children's shows and, and literature because mm-hmm. it ha- does have to be still has a thought but still has to be palatable and that doesn't mean bad that just means have to be better composed and written yeah 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 blippy on the other hand is a piece of shit I can- <laughs> <laughs> he can talk and you know he doesn't respect his audience and that it okay move on <laughs> i can apparently talk a while about children's media oh yeah <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Bluey versus Blippy. Uh, no contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never heard of Blippy, so I, I'll keep it that way. Good. <laughs> Good. You, you don't want the episode where he talks about how great the cops are? <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Is yeah. that a... Is a Blippy a, like a human? It's a dude. Yeah. I thought I knew that. Anyway, doesn't matter. Back to Sesame Street, <laughs> which Sesame Street is great. It's wholesome. And this story um, kind of uses this like outside in fourth wall breaking lens to explore mm. the same things that Sesame Street was trying to explore. I think they do it in a humorous way and they don't try to like really dig themselves in too hard. Yeah. Um, though, actually, I think my favorite Part of it, the favorite like individual pieces are what they describe like uh, the Muppet behavior. <laughs> are, are they called Muppets in Sesame Street? Yeah, they're still Muppets. Yeah, they're still, yeah, okay. they're still yeah. Jim Henson. Okay. Yeah, like just like casually, offhandedly. For instance, um, when Grover first introduces himself to Verity, she somehow he he's he has a ping pong paddle and she somehow ends up with it in her hand after mm-hmm. they shake hands. But that like happens off screen. And then what's going then, on with this ping pong paddle is like a whole thing for the rest of the fanfic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's one point where like, she gets really frustrated and like, she says all in caps, can we please get back to business? Everyone turned to look at Verity, their bite missing from paddle ball racket. Cookie idly wonder if it any good. He's trying <laughs> to cut down on balsa intake. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like, you know, you have this idea that this humanoid puppet is just taking a bite out of the paddle in right. frustration that Cookie's like trying to cut down on balsa intake. Yeah. It's it's humorous and it's very fun to read. And I'm I'm not sure I mentioned it, but um, fictional characters as an acting troupe is one of my favorite tropes that happens never, <laughs> <laughs> almost never. Yeah, I yeah. really I really like it too. I want more like fanfics about like. Osamu Tezuka's star system. Yeah. You know. I, 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 that's the only thing I was thinking of. It's basically this, like the, the Muppets and Tezuka characters. Like, mm-hmm. I, I do kind of want a story about them as actors talking about the roles and their parts and stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually like racking my brain to think of it's, another thing that does this, especially like Muppets do it so much yeah. more, much yeah, very frequently. Yeah. It's like, I, I want them to have more presence as actors. I want Disney to just like cast Gonzo in a role in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie and have it go completely uncommented on. I want, you know, <laughs> like that's the kind of thing I want. Yeah, I want other manga authors just put in Osamu Tezuka characters, like cast them in their yeah. stories with no comment yeah. and just like, you know, hey, uh, love that kind of thing. There was a promotion for Disney animation where they put Muppet actors in random parts mm-hmm. where they had um big city greens had fozzy the bear as the dentist um amphibia had kermit the frog 
for, for one episode. Yeah, oh, okay, cool. like, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that, that's the kind oh. of thing I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, but those were cartoons. It completely misses the potential of doing it in person. Uh, yeah, live action absolutely and also it felt more like this is a reference this is a joke yeah. rather than like you know like how especially in cartoons like references are quite common yeah yeah um, well you know it would still be a reference or a joke it's just that's the kind of humor i, know, I crave is just like it's some like completely bit. unrelated production and fozzy bear is a character like you know for a scene it's more like and then he's credited in the, in the end credits this like fozzy bear as this character or yeah. whatever I guess so. I mean, I guess I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just thinking about it differently. Because I think about the cartoons, it feels more like an Easter egg. Like the character has like a Sailor Moon poster in their bedroom or something, you know, like, oh, I saw that. But like if we're talking about missed opportunities, Disney owns Muppets. Right. Muppets do parodies. Disney also owns Marvel movies. And Star Wars. And Star Wars. Yeah. Could, how do we not have Muppet Star Wars? How do we not have Muppet Star Wars? How do we not we have Muppet well, Avengers? We had Muppet Babies Star Wars. That was my first exposure to Star Wars. We had Muppet Babies Muppet everything, babies. though. Hardly counts. <laughs> yeah. Obi-Wan Kerfroggy, I still remember. But the new Muppet Babies has Gonzo as, like, canonically, like, a non-binary or something. I mean, that... that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I, so, I think he always kind of has been. Yes, but but it was uh, explicit. That's good. You know? Yeah, nice. and then instead of implicit, <laughs> I Gonzo is that you know kind of character who like should not be constrained by any labels in particular. Well, Gonzo is an alien, so he's like, a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, he's whatever. He's a weirdo. Yeah, <laughs> he's a whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, should we finish this up? I guess. Sure. This episode. So I'm up at Christmas Carol again. <laughs> yeah, let's wrap up. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you brought this one to us, Amato, even though it's not quite retro. Because it was very fun. Uh, yeah. Good choice. Oh good. Yeah. Who's a good host? You are. <laughs> <laughs> oh darn, I forgot my Amato biscuits. <laughs> it sounds like biscuits made out of Amato. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> This was episode 165 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, exclusive content by Ellen Fremadon. Had to go back up over there. Yeah. You can find it on AO3, where it is well-labeled and hyperlinked, as I said. We'll provide the link there. The intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair, off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe, from that same album. And you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Rose. I don't have anything clever to say about you this time. Well, I think in this company, I'm the one human. In any other group, I'm the Muppet. (laughs) (laughs) That seems so accurate. (laughs) I'm always the the Muppet and the monster, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You can find our website with all the episodes on it at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. I just thought of it, but Muppet Sonas have to be a thing, right? Yeah. Like a big thing. <laughs> like oh a big, my God, I'm like, looking like it a tag. right now. Muppet, what did you say? Muppet Sona? Like a Muppet person, Sona, you would think. Yeah. 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 But like, like what, what would you be if you were a, a Muppet? <laughs> would you be it's humanoid? Or would you be monster? Well, they they had that thing in. It is a uh, thing in the movie The Muppets, <laughs> right? I remember them making like a. They've made like Muppet versions of humans a few times, but they usually just kind of look, you know. Oh, cute! Aw, looking at Muppet Sonas there. I love yeah. it. 
There's lots of Muppet Sonas, so <laughs> and none of them are um heavily sexualized. So no, I just keep scrolling so down. Far. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to stop there. And I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you should probably contact us by email. Let's just do email. Retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. That's the retro way to do it. Yes. You could also leave a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Della. We're just three Earth life forms that may or may not be felt trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. <laughs> I took a drink of water because I thought you were going to take longer on the extra. It's <laughs> <laughs> really rude, Amada. Normally you say it on the yeah. Twitter at the Facebook, but who cares? Forget it. Fuck it. Fuck it. Fuck it. That's my attitude Sorry, now. It's not Sesame Street. One fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Two fuck it. keep forgetting about it because you know there's like eight million other things to do yes you're not wrong <laughs> i always say eight million i don't know why <laughs> that's just your go-to like, number yeah i just realized that I was like at some point i decided i that's interesting because yeah, like culturally million there's like a number that's gone gone to for um you know hyperbole mm-hmm. or like english is like a million mm-hmm. for like um cultures that are based off of china it's ten thousand mm-hmm. it just means like infinite. a lot <laughs> yeah, I think it's at some point I made a conscious decision when I was like, like a snap conscious decision where I was like, what would be an interesting hyperbolic number? And then I just never stopped saying it. It's like, it, it sounds specific. I know. <laughs> On Sesame Street, it's 40. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>